Robert stood in his plexiglass perch atop the B-24 Liberator. He had heard it jokingly referred to as the Flying House due to its enormous size and difficulty in maneuvering it. The scene before him was breathtaking. He looked down on the green, forested landscape far beneath him and imagined vacationing there. However, his crew had just returned from bombing a German tank factory, and he probably wouldn't find any welcoming hotels around. During training, Robert was told that the ride back to base after a bombing run was the most dangerous. During this time, many crew members let their guard down, thinking that the worst was behind them. However, with fuel running low and fatigue setting in, it was the journey home where he had to keep his senses sharp and his head on a swivel. As the flight engineer and top turret gunner, Robert had a 360-degree view of the environment around the bomber. After scanning to the left, he caught a quick movement out of the corner of his eye. There, a tiny speck was joined by several others. He closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and announced to the pilot that bogeys were approaching at their 8 o'clock. He then checked his gun and said a little prayer before all hell broke loose. This podcast is about heroes in military and law enforcement. Some gave their service for America and served in the armed forces. Some have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, and others protected the local community and died in the line of duty. Our lives would be a whole lot different if it weren't for the hard work and sacrifice of these brave men and women. They could have gone on to live lives that were less dangerous. However, they dedicated themselves to your protection. If you ever have the pleasure of talking to one of them, they'll tell you, I'm not a hero, but I have the honor of walking beside a few. Others will say, the real heroes are those who didn't make it back home. This episode is dedicated to Robert Lee Norton Jr. Robert was a B-24 flight engineer and top turret gunner with the 15th Army Air Corps, 454th Bombardment Group Heavy. Born on June 7, 1924, to Robert Lee Norton Sr. and Ruth Starnes Norton in Centerville, Georgia, just east of Atlanta, Robert Jr. grew up on his family's farm with his younger brother Richard. The two Norton boys loved the outdoors, especially hunting with their dad and his bird dogs. Their parents raised them to be self-sufficient and taught them the values that would follow them for the rest of their lives. Robert enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Corps in June of 1943, and arrived for basic training at Gulfport, Mississippi. It wasn't long before he recognized his first drill sergeant, Rex Pate. Pate was from Snellville, a neighboring town near where Robert grew up. Rex's father, Elmer Pate, was well known throughout the area. Robert felt that he had made the right decision in joining the Army Air Corps instead of waiting to be called up for the infantry or Marines. He had heard that the Air Corps was known for their cozy barracks and good food. After basic training and flight training, Robert was assigned as flight engineer to the B-24 Liberator. The B-24 flight engineer was most likely more familiar with the flying war machine than any other crew member, including the pilot. During emergencies, the pilot always relied on the engineer. The flight engineer's principal duties were to support the pilot and co-pilot in keeping track of the engine operation and monitoring fuel capacity. The engineer also had several secondary duties, such as operating the top turret gun, which gave him a perfect view of all four engines. The flight engineer was also qualified for co-pilot duties, was the parachute officer, 
first aid specialist, and the assistant radio operator. Norton and his crew arrived on July 10th, 1944, and were based out of San Giovanni Airfield, a few miles out of Cerignola, Italy. On July 25th, 1944, Norton was on his second mission. His crew had just completed their bombing run over the Hermann Göring Reichswerke, which was a steelworks factory that built tanks in Linz, Austria. After they turned the lumbering plane back towards Italy, German fighters blew multiple holes in the fuselage, and the B-24 started to descend. It was doubtful that they would be able to climb out of the valley below them, so the pilot called over the radio to abandon ship and ordered the crew to jump. As the flight engineer, Robert was responsible for making sure that all crew members had donned their parachutes. They jumped at just 1,500 feet and landed in the heavily wooded German-held territory. Although Norton's B-24 did not arrive back at the base after the mission, the remaining B-24 liberators from the 454th finished out their mission despite enduring heavy opposition from anti-aircraft guns on the ground and German Luftwaffe fighters. As a result of the Goring Steelworks bombing, the 454th received a Distinguished Unit Citation. Norton and his crew, however, would not receive this award until years later. Robert survived the jump, but was taken captive the next day by a Nazi sympathizer and was turned over to the Germans. Then, Robert and some additional apprehended Allied soldiers were loaded up into boxcars that were so overloaded that there was no place to sit. The confines were hot, stuffy, and there was no food or other provisions. The train unloaded in Frankfurt, where the POWs endured multiple interrogations. The German intelligence officers already knew the answers to their questions. Through various sources, they had files and knew all the facts about the mission. During Allied bombing in the local area, the POWs were led outside to seek shelter. Their German captors also had to guard the POWs from local citizens who would have killed the prisoners. They were understandably enraged about the bombings. Norton's final destination was POW Camp Stalag Luft 4, located in Gross Tykow, Pomerania, now Tykowo, in northeastern Poland. It was here that the Allied prisoners endured incredible difficulties. There wasn't enough food to go around, and their small portions came from Red Cross packages that were meant for one soldier, but were divided up amongst four. In order to provide for the needs of the ever-increasing POWs, the Germans came up with a recipe for bread. It had all the normal ingredients except for one item that was mysteriously called tree flour. This was actually the perfect description, because tree flour was actually sawdust. Boiled potatoes that were cooked up in huge wash tubs were also a common dinner item for the prisoners. Six months later, Norton and about 80,000 Allied POWs that were held in German prison camps were forced to march 800 kilometers, about 500 miles, through Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Germany. The advancing Soviet Red Army was approaching the Eastern Front, and German authorities made the decision to evacuate all POWs in order to postpone their liberation. If this had happened during spring or summer months, the march would have been incredibly difficult. However, this was January in northeastern Europe. Now, the march was almost impossible. 
The prisoners had to endure severe blizzard conditions and took over four months to reach their destination in Germany. This later became known by several names, including the Great March West, the Long March, the Long Walk, the Long Trek, the Black March, the Bread March, and the Death March across Germany. However, the name that it is best known as is simply the March. There were also hundreds of thousands of German civilian refugees, now made homeless because of Allied bombings or the pillaging of the Russian army. Many of these refugees were women, children, and elderly. There were also civilians from other nations who were making their way westward on foot. One could imagine the haphazard, spread-out collection of morose people bent over in the winter storms while the icy breeze touched their faces. Only the strongest and healthiest survived, and many didn't make the entire trek. Those who weren't as capable were left to their frozen graves as the snowdrifts covered them up. The soldiers wore all the clothes that they could find. It was a welcome sight to come across barns or buildings where they could take shelter against the biting cold. There was little to no food, and many of them starved. Finally, on May 3, 1945, the POWs came across British troops. It was the happiest day of their lives, and many of them couldn't believe their eyes. After they were liberated, Robert and many other U.S. troops made their way across the Atlantic. Halfway through the voyage, Robert had his 21st birthday. They arrived and settled into barracks at Newport News, Virginia, and received a steak dinner served by German POWs. Robert looked up with amazement at the German prisoner as he was served. He seemed well-fed and in great condition. Regardless of the difference between how Robert was treated by the Germans and how the U.S. treated their POWs, he was just grateful to be back in the United States. Norton continued on in the Army until Thanksgiving in 1945 when he was discharged and then returned to his family in Georgia. Later, he married his sweetheart, Mary Kelly, and eventually was put in charge of the family Western Auto business in downtown Lawrenceville. He and Mary would have three daughters, Claudia, Nancy, and Janet. Robert developed a reputation for always being there for his customers. Once, he helped someone out during a midnight emergency. Another time, he reopened the store on Christmas Eve to accommodate for last-minute shopping. Anyone could rely on Robert to fix almost any problem. He was a humble man, never sought any recognition, was an encouragement to all, and was a pillar of the community. Robert was very active in the Lawrenceville First Baptist Church. He joined the Masonic Lodge in 1946, was a member of the Lions Club, and served as a member of the Gwinnett Hospital Authority, the City Council of Lawrenceville, and was on a local bank board. He was also an active Central Gwinnett High School booster, where he enjoyed cooking meals for the football team. Robert valued being around people, whether it was traveling to Gatlinburg or Daytona with his buddies, fishing with his father or friends, or just being the quiet mentor to those who looked up to him. His nephew, Jimmy Norton, remembered the store Robert used to run as a great place to hang out and saw his uncle as an American hero. I get to stand on the shoulders of great men like Uncle Robert, said Jimmy. He served his country in war and came home to serve his community equally in peacetime. I had always appreciated what I had, said Robert in an interview. 
I came from farmers. I survived the camp. And now I learned to really appreciate what I have. Family was very important to Robert. And he often said that family is my life. One of the spotlights of his later years was when his grandson, Johnny Todd, graduated from West Point and then Ranger School at Fort Benning. Not too long afterwards, his granddaughter, Lottie, graduated from the University of Virginia. All of my children and grandchildren are a comfort to me, said Robert. I am proud of all of them. Robert Norton died on November 26, 2020, at the age of 96. He was preceded in death by his wife, Mary, his first daughter, Claudia, who died before the age of two, and his brother, Richard Norton. He is survived by his daughters, Nancy Norton, Salmon, and Janet Norton, Todd, Janet's children, Mary Charlotte, Lottie, Todd, and John Robert Todd, his great-grandson, Jack, his sister-in-law, Glendia Blackson Norton, and many nieces, nephews, and cousins. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Remember My Name podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at RememberMyNamePodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at RememberMyNamePodcast and Twitter at RMNPodcast. Now take a moment and remember this name, Robert Norton. Robert Norton.